This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adikar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat shalom. Uh, first of all, mazal tov to the, to the whole Probatsky family. I have to share uh, with the Ikar community that there's a special connection uh, uniting your family with mine. So much of your family is uh, in from Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, from the Hampton Roads area. Some of you, in fact, are congregants at my dad's shul. And uh, it's just such a delight to me to, to look out and see the faces of um, folks that I've known for pretty much my whole life. And welcome from Norfolk. Thanks for bringing a little bit of that Norfolk mist. Uh, and I have to say, I did not wake up this morning thinking that I was going to preach in front of my pediatrician. But here he is. Thank you, doctor. So if you open up any Tanakh, any Hebrew Bible, and you flip to the back, you'll find Kohelet. You'll find Ecclesiastes. And you'll find it there in a section known as Kituvim, as the writings, sitting alongside Esther and Ruth, Song of Songs and Lamentations, all of which are connected to a specific holiday. They're chanted as a sort of thematic companion piece for each holiday. Uh, and Sukkot is the lucky winner of Kohelet, which is why in a few moments from now uh, we'll chant this section of Tanakh. But in an alternate history, if I asked you to flip to the back of the Bible to find Kohelet, you would have come up empty. Because it turns out, Kohelet was nearly banned from the Bible. 2,500 years ago, when our rabbis were debating what belonged in the Bible, what represents sacred literature, and what doesn't, the inclusion of Kohelet was the subject of fierce debate. So I want to take a few moments to explore why the rabbis were so disturbed by Kohelet and why they ultimately made the uncomfortable but crucial decision to include it in our canon. Uh, but first, I have to say, obviously, I'm thinking about this question of what belongs in the Bible in large part because of Rabbi Brous's brilliant Yom Kippur sermon, Ban the Bible. Uh, which, if you haven't heard it, or if you've only heard it once, I urge you to listen and re-listen. This is an urgent, urgent wake-up call to the dangers of those who fundamentally want to block empathy by banning books. A reminder that inhabiting the perspective of another is one of the greatest tools of resilience, of allyship, of moral imagination that we can muster. And, you know, Rabbi Brass, as you said on Rosh Hashanah in a different sermon, you know, sometimes you learn an idea and it just completely shapes the way that you see the world. Uh, so here I am adding a small footnote to your sermon applied to the almost banned book of Kohelet. What was so dangerous for the rabbis about Kohelet? So there's two related concerns that are brought forth by the rabbis. Uh, one found in the Talmud and one found in Midrash. And the language of those concerns is nearly identical. Here's how both 
phrases begin. Bikshu chachamim lignoz sefer kohelet. Both texts start with, the sages wanted to suppress, lignoz, literally to, to hide away, to exclude from the canon, the book of Kohelet. Why? So the Talmud's answer, I'm sorry, the Midrash's answer from Kohelet Rabbah is that the rabbis found within it ideas that leaned towards heresy. And the, the rabbis of the Talmud similarly say, Its statements contradict each other, meaning Kohelet isn't only inconsistent with the rest of tradition, but it's also internally inconsistent. One minute saying one thing, and then 10 verses later saying the opposite. So I think what's going on here is that the rabbis are nervous about both content and narrator. They're concerned that the content of Kohelet, of Ecclesiastes, will lead people astray. And honestly, I get it. I get that concern. Kohelet is a deeply skeptical work. It's one which frequently questions whether the world works justly, whether there's meaning in anything, if all is vanity, if life is purposeless. It's a book that says, follow the desires of your heart and the places that your eyes lead you. And the rabbis want to scream because the Torah, we just read it in the third paragraph of the Shema, says, Don't go astray after your heart and your eyes. We, Jews, we follow God, the mitzvot, the commandments to keep us on the right path. There's meaning in the world, a God of justice, wisdom to pursue, but you can see why the rabbis are concerned. Will people abandon the Judaism so carefully constructed throughout the rest of Tanakh when they get a taste of Kohelet's worldview? And they're worried about the narrator. How in one moment can he say, joy is praiseworthy, and in the next say, joy? What good does joy do? What does joy accomplish? The simcha mazosa. Won't his inconsistency confuse us? What would happen if we, if we inhabited his world of contradictions? Now, in a sense, we know how this story ends because here we are about to chant from Kohelet. We're going to flip to the back of the book and there it will be. Right? It was not banned. And the rabbis find their way. Right? They find their way to resolve the contradictions and clean up the inconsistencies. But truthfully, I think it's the unresolved, contradictory Kohelet that makes it worthy of inclusion in the Tanakh. Let me explain. Kohelet represents a voice that I think many of us are quite familiar with, a voice that sometimes ricochets in our minds. The part of us that at times feels like life is unfair, or meaningless. The part of us that oscillates between contradictory convictions, deeply unsure of what's true in the world, what's true in our own lives. If we listen to Kohelet through the prism of someone grappling with depression, existential uncertainty, or anxiety, we might recognize the mindset as familiar to our own life experience. We might recognize 
the movement between clarity and confusion, purpose and aimlessness as a reflection of a deep, deep truth about being human. So ultimately, it's the dissonance of Kohelet that makes it worthy of inclusion in our Bible. It's our tradition's way of saying, we recognize this voice, this pain and uncertainty, it belongs. You belong when you're feeling this way. And you are represented in our sacred story. We refuse to hide away the anxiety of Kohelet because that would mean banishing an aspect of the human experience that deserves a serious, loving, and caring response. We step into the world of Kohelet. Crucially on Sukkot, on Zman Simchatenu, on this time of our joy, perhaps to make space for those who aren't, whether that's us or another. We begin our chanting from Kohelet on page 426. <laughs> Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.